Let's pray together. Father, it is truly good to be together this morning. And Father, it's been a, a weekend of fellowship. And Father, I thank you for the sweet fellowship that we have as brothers and sisters in Christ. Father, we live lives that sometimes are difficult and sometimes are glorious. And Father, we know that you are God through all of those things. Father, help us to be people who don't ride the waves of happiness and unhappiness based on our circumstances at any particular time. Instead, Father, help us to be people who take great joy in who you are and the fact that you are our God and the fact that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to this earth to live, to die, and to be resurrected. Father, help us to have joy as we look back on his resurrection and joy as we look forward to ours. We pray this through Jesus, who is the Christ. Amen. Well, today we are continuing with our sermon series, Say What? Does the Bible really say that? You need to know that Zane Hurd was preaching on the same topic up at camp this weekend. Um, I asked Zane if he would wear a bow tie while he was up there because I figured if he wore a bow tie, people would think that I was in both places because, you know, middle-aged white guys wearing bow ties, we all look the same. So I could have gotten credit for preaching twice, but he wouldn't do that for me. So anyway, everybody's on the same page, continuing with the series. And in this series, each week we're looking at a different Christian cliche, something that you might see on a bumper sticker or a coffee mug, something that you might read posted on Facebook. And each week we're asking the question, does the Bible really say that? And we're asking that question because many of the cliches we see and hear sound biblical, but they really aren't truly from the Bible. And one of the common problems with these cliches is that they attempt to capture biblical truths, but they simply go too far. And that's certainly the case with today's cliché. God just wants you to be happy. Now, it's certainly a biblical truth that God wants what is best for us. Like any good parent, God wants what is best for his children. But it's what is best for us really what we want. It's what's best for us always getting the things that make us happy. Happy. You know, we live in a culture that's obsessed with happy. In fact, our country has happiness written into its very DNA. The second paragraph of the Declaration of Independence begins this way. It says, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, and that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of? Happiness. It's amazing that even in 1776, coffee mug said, God wants you to be happy. It's in our DNA. And today, the signs that our culture has embraced the inalienable right to pursue our happiness are everywhere. We have happy hours and happy meals We want our books and our movies to have happy endings. We want every fairy tale to end happily ever after. 
And certainly in our culture, heaven forbid you criticize the actions of anyone else who is doing something that they think will make them happy. I think it's fair to say that our culture worships the God of happiness. And that our culture will sacrifice almost anything to the God of happiness. And for worshipers of God who are living in this culture, that creates a lot of tension. As worshipers of God who live in a culture that worships happiness, it isn't surprising that oftentimes we get confused about God's concern about our personal happiness. And then we begin to believe that God just wants us to be happy. That sounds like it should be true, doesn't it? That sounds like it should be right, doesn't it? I mean, after all, surely God doesn't want me to be unhappy. And the confusion is made worse by popular pastors who are out there preaching the message of happiness. They go so far as to suggest that the reason that I found a front row parking spot at Walmart was because God wanted me to be happy. And that's where the idea that God wants me to be happy really starts to break down. Because if the reason I was able to park in the front row at Walmart was because God wants me to be happy, then he also must have wanted that pregnant mom with three kids under the age of four who I beat to that parking space to be unhappy. And when you think about it, I mean, if God really wants me to be happy, why stop at my parking spots? If he wants me to be happy, why doesn't he give me an elk tag every year? And he doesn't. Why does the Lobo basketball team win the national championship every year? And trust me, they don't. Why aren't I receiving gold medals instead of watching other people have them placed around their neck? See, when we say that God wants us to be happy, we're saying more about what we want for ourselves than about what God wants for his children. When we say that God wants us to be happy, we're saying that God should want what we want. We're saying that God should bless our pursuit of our happiness. When I say that God just wants me to be happy, I'm saying it's all about me. Well, before we go any further, let's pause for just a moment. Let's do some definitions here. Let's define the word happy and let's define the word joy. And these definitions are important because the lines between these two words aren't very distinct. There's a lot of overlap between happy and joy. But for our purposes today, we're defining happy as an emotion. It's the emotion of being delighted and pleased and glad over a particular thing. Happy is the emotion of being delighted, pleased, or glad over a particular thing. And also for our purposes today, we're going to define joy as having great delight that's caused by something exceptionally good or satisfying. Joy, having great delight caused by something exceptionally good or satisfying. Happiness is a temporary emotion. It's a temporary emotion brought about by some particular thing. Perhaps an object. 
perhaps a reaction, perhaps a gesture that someone makes. But joy is a lasting state. And it's brought about by relationships and life situations, and it's very closely related to contentment. Let me illustrate it this way. In case you haven't heard, I have a grandson. I know it's a shock to many of you. My grandson's name is James. And when James's face lights up when he sees me, that makes me happy. Intensely happy. And as intense as that emotion is, it's a temporary emotion. It doesn't carry over for days or weeks or years. But the fact that I have a grandson and the fact that I love my grandson and my grandson loves me, that brings me great joy. And trust me, that joy never leaves me. It never dissipates. It endures. It sustains me, even when I am unhappy. See, James does things that make me happy. But the existence of my grandson and my continuing relationship with my grandson brings me joy. Happiness is fleeting. Joy is enduring. So let me ask this question. Is happiness a problem? Or to put it a different way, is our unhappiness a problem that God feels like he needs to fix? Is our unhappiness a problem that God feels like he must fix? And the answer I want to tell you is clearly no. God doesn't see our unhappiness as a problem he needs to fix by providing us something that will make us happy. Now, don't get me wrong. God isn't anti-happiness. God delights in his children's happiness. But like any good parent, he doesn't let us have whatever it takes to make us happy. We know what happens to those kind of children, right? Those kind of children who have parents who give them whatever they want just if it will keep them happy. Those children who are given or allowed to have whatever they want by parents who just want their kids to be happy end up being immature, end up being petty. They're spoiled, they're self-absorbed. When parents give their children whatever they want, the inmates end up running the asylum, right? But that's not the way it works in God's kingdom. In God's kingdom, no one gets to be happy All of the time. The teacher said this in Ecclesiastes chapter 7 verse 14. He said, when times are good, be happy. But when times are bad, consider, God has made the one as well as the other. Solomon understood that no one can be happy all of the time. He understood that life isn't this nonstop parade of good times and good things. He recognized that life brings a mixture of the good and the bad. Solomon recognized that there are times when we'll be happy and there will be times when we won't be happy. And God is God of all of those times. So happiness and unhappiness come and go. They're transient states. They come and go based on circumstance. They are based on things that happen to us. It's kind of a comical scene. 
with Jonah, but it's an excellent example of the transient nature of happiness. You remember the story of Jonah. He was called to go to Nineveh to preach, and he really did not want to go. So he spent some time in a storm, and he spent some time in the belly of a fish, and finally he gave in to God's will for him, and he went and preached to Nineveh. And then we read in Jonah chapter 4 and verse 5, he went out and he sat down at a place east of that city. And there he made himself a shelter. He sat in its shade and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a vine and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head, to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the vine. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the vine so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die, and he said, it would be better for me to die than to live. Jonah was unhappy. See, Jonah's happiness left just as quickly as it came. The shade of the vine made him happy, and when the vine died, he was unhappy. Happiness comes, and happiness goes. James also reminded us of the transient nature of happiness this way. In James chapter 5 and verse 13, he said, Is any one of you in trouble? He should pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Good and bad come to everybody. And we don't have to put on a happy mask even when we're in the midst of our trials. So we should enjoy the good times. We should enjoy our happy times. But we should also know that the Bible doesn't say that happiness is a promise from our God. The Bible doesn't say that God's great desire is for us to be happy. And having the mindset that we're entitled to happiness leads to all kinds of misery in this world. So what's the problem in believing that our happiness is God's great desire for us? Well, one of the problems is that it leads us to conclude that anything that makes me happy must be blessed by God. Anything that makes me happy must be blessed by God. See, believing that whatever makes me happy must be from God is what led a woman who had engaged in an affair with devastating consequences to her and to her husband and to her children and to their family to sit across from me, look me in the eye and say, God must have wanted me to have that affair because it made me happy. See, believing that anything that we desire must be something that God desires for us has devastating consequences on lives and marriages and families and relationships. And even for churches, it leads to staggering financial debt. Because if I want it, God must want it for me, right? It leads to sex before marriage and outside of marriage because if I want it, then God must want it for me, right? See, we will repeatedly make the wrong moral choices if what makes me happy is the criteria for the paths that I take. And the flip side of that coin is true for us as well. 
See, when we believe that our happiness is God's great desire for us, it also leads us to conclude that anything that makes us unhappy must be condemned by God. If God just wants me to be happy, then whatever is hard, whatever is challenging, whatever is painful, that can't be God's will for me, right? So why sacrifice my needs for the needs of other? Why go through the pain of working through the struggles in a marriage? Why deal with the challenges of repairing broken relationships? Why not just move on to something or someone else if God just wants me to be happy? Which highlights what I think is the major problem with believing that our happiness is God's great desire for us. It leads us to adopt the notion that God exists for us. It leads us to buy into the notion that God exists to serve us. That God exists to please us. That God exists to cater to us. To buy into the notion that God will bend his will to make us happy. So yes, believing that our happiness is God's great desire for us is a problem. The Bible doesn't say that. And because the Bible doesn't say that we need to deal with this conflict that we have between what our culture says and what the Bible says. We need to ask ourselves if we are following our culture as happiness addicts or are we following Jesus Christ as joy-filled disciples. And there's a way to tell whether or not we are happiness addicts. All we have to do is look at our behavior And oftentimes look at our bank statements. So let me give you some marks of a happiness addict. Do you repeatedly buy things you don't need in order to get a happy fix? Do you go on trips you can't afford in order to get a happiness fix? Do you frequently move from one car or one house or one job to another to get a happiness fix? Do you frequently move from one relationship to another to get a happiness fix? See, just like any other kind of addiction, happiness addicts never reach their destination because the fix that they get never lasts. They're always looking for another. If we follow our culture and if we make happiness our final destination, if we set our GPS on happiness as our destination... We need to understand that we'll never arrive there. We need to understand that we'll die looking for the next happiness fix. But Jesus shows us a very different way. Jesus shows us a much better way. Jesus shows us the way to joy. In fact, Jesus is the way to lasting joy. Listen to what Jesus said as he deals with this tension between happiness, addiction, and joyful discipleship. Matthew chapter 6, verse 31. Jesus said, Do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? 
For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. See, the way to joy, the way to lasting joy, isn't to chase after the next happiness fix. Instead, the way to joy is to first seek God, to first seek his kingdom, to first seek his righteousness. See, pursuing God and pursuing his kingdom and pursuing his righteousness, that's the better pursuit. And when we pursue God, then lasting joy follows us. See, if we pursue God, if we make God our final destination, if we set our GPS on God, no one can even take away our joy. Once more, listen to the words of Jesus in John chapter 16 and verse 20. He said, I tell you the truth, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So with you. Now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. So Jesus tells his disciples, take heart, joy is on the way. Joy is coming, and no one will take away your joy. And Jesus says, the source of your lasting joy will be me. The source of your joy will be what's going to happen. He says, your grief at my impending death is going to be replaced. It's going to be replaced with the joy of my resurrection. You will see me again. So the source of their joy was a future event. But for us living now, the source of our lasting joy is a past event. We're not looking forward to Jesus' resurrection. Jesus has been resurrected. We're not looking forward to the day that Jesus will live again. Jesus does live again. And Jesus isn't some kind of happiness fix. No, Jesus' resurrection was the fix. It fixed what was wrong with this world. It defeated death. And we can live in constant and lasting joy because we don't have to chase after happiness. We just have to follow our Lord. So we need to understand that joy doesn't come from a what. It doesn't come from a thing. It doesn't come from an object. No, joy comes through a who. And the who is the resurrected Jesus Christ. So we're going to end our time. We're going to leave the conclusion of this matter to Peter. It's the same verse that Luis read before our communion time together. Listen again to what Peter wrote. In 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3. Listen to where our joy comes from. Peter says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. It's kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. And in this you greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. And these have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the goal of your faith. The salvation of your souls. So the Bible doesn't say that God just wants us to be happy. No, the Bible says that God wants much more for us than happiness. He wants much more than happiness for his children. He wants something much better for his kids. He wants lasting joy. See, the Bible does say that God wants us, his children, to be filled with inexpressible and glorious joy. And the source of that joy is Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, you have blessed us in so many ways. But, Father, the blessing of Jesus Christ fills our souls with joy. Father, to think that you loved us enough that you would send your son to die for us. Father, to think that you would love us enough that you would send him to die for us so that we might spend eternity with you fills us with great joy. Father, thank you for revealing yourself to us through him. Father, help us to be people who don't chase after happiness through, through objects, through things, through money. Help us to be people who pursue you and find our joy. And Father, we pray this through the name of Jesus Christ, who is the source of our joy. Amen. We're going to end our time together singing a song. I want to ask you to go ahead and stand up now. We're going to sing about seeking first the kingdom of God. And when we sing about seeking first the kingdom of God, we're singing about how we know we can find our joy. Because if we will seek first Jesus, if we will first seek God and his kingdom and his righteousness, God's joy will follow. And we will be known as people who are filled with the inexpressible and glorious joy of the redeemed. Let's sing like we are the redeemed. Sing, Lord, like a shepherd.